everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're continuing our Big Ten season previews. Uh, before we begin with what might be uh, more interesting rebuild stories of the league, I would like to remind you that you, if you appreciate what we're doing at TIFFNOTS and would like to be a part of it, you can support the show in a number of ways. First, you can head on over to tffinots.com support and contribute a one-time payment via Venmo or PayPal, or you can support us on a recurring monthly basis through Substack or Patreon. Two, you could leave us a written review of the podcast on your podcast player uh, so that other algorithms will help us find, Spartan fans find the show. Third, you can purchase our cool gears provided through Nudge Printing at tffinots.com slash merchandise. You can find our cool logo tees and hoodies. Super comfortable. I have them and love them. Uh, finally, if you're interested in getting your product or business in front of a lot of Spartan fans, feel free to email me at eric at tffinots.com for more information. All right, so today we're going to be talking about number 13, Penn State. Uh, this is... Uh, a very sad story, I guess I would put it down, because um, last season Penn State went 23-14. and 14. They were 10-10 and 10 in the Big Ten, did much better. They exceeded expectations, and they were one of those teams, you know, after we were talking about Minnesota in the last show, sort of the crapshoot, right? We weren't quite sure how this team was going to work out, and they actually worked out pretty well, all things considered. Micah Shrewsbury showed himself to be a very good coach. It was his year two in his regime. They went to the – not only did they win 10 league games – but they made it into the NCAA tournament, actually won an NCAA tournament game, and uh, really gave Texas A&M a, a tough time, uh, or sorry, Texas, in the round of 32, and had a chance of beating Texas and actually making the Sweet 16. Uh, they were a strange team because they were very small and very guard-oriented. In fact, pretty much all guards. <laughs> and then then the whole thing just fell apart. And it and after reading reports later, it sounds like the the destruction of the Penn State basketball program had sort of been in the works for some time and it was just, you know, manifested itself after the season was over and that they were sort of the relationship between Shrewsbury and the administration was sort of too far gone at that point. And he, had, and he was sort of recognized that Penn state really just isn't interested in basketball. And I think that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, whether they are going to change their commitment, but clearly they missed a chance to have a guy who was very successful, uh, show the ability that maybe he was going to be able to recruit in Pennsylvania Certainly could could build a winning team with sort of whoever you threw with uh, gave him, uh, which was very very impressive. But he ends up at Notre Dame, and um, I don't know. I guess I get go, for, go hand it over to you and sort of your overall impressions. But I think that's sort of a good summary to get us started. Yeah, I mean, I think that that certainly lays out the basics. And if if you're one of the handful of people who actually cares about Penn State basketball and and wants that program to be something other than what it is or has been, which is a very occasional March participant, but more often than not down toward the bottom of the league, mm -hmm. you had to be very, very disheartened by this. Yeah. Um, Micah Shrewsbury in two years did tremendous work. His first two years as a head coach, by the way, he'd been a longtime assistant. Uh, a lot of experience alongside Brad Stevens at both Butler and in the NBA with the Celtics. He'd also done time, I believe, in two separate stints with Matt Painter at Purdue. So this is this is a guy who had had learned from and been with some very good coaches, was given a chance to run his own program, was not dealt a strong hand. I mean, I can assure you of that, <laughs> <Say at least. laughs> you know. Um, the Pat Chambers era, if you remember, ended very strangely with him getting fired. They had an interim coach see that year out. And, you know, then a lot of the, a lot of the talent was gone. And as you say, they were definitely caught short in no pun intended in terms of size in particular, but Shrewsbury did an outstanding job. Um, his first year, they were just very, very competitive when nobody expected them to be last year where I think people expected them to be competitive. They were more than that. They were, as you said, they were a tournament team. 
they beat Texas A&M in the first round game, had Texas right there for the taking in the round of 32, could have easily been in the Sweet 16. They were, in my opinion, the most entertaining team in the league and one of the most entertaining teams in the country to watch play if you're a neutral fan. If you don't care about either end of the game, Penn State was really fun to watch. And, and it was a credit, such a credit to Shrewsbury, because I have to tell you, if your only knowledge of him as a coach was watching Penn State last year, you probably have a very distorted view of what I think his priorities are and how he wants to play. I don't think he wants to be a guy who's playing five guards <laughs> no. and whose best post-up player is a six-four point guard. I don't think that's what he wants to do. You know, some guys play this way. And it's by choice. I think he just played the hand he was dealt. And, you know, you look at the guys he's coached with, Brad Stevens, Matt Painter. These are guys who value some size. They value interior play. They value defense, all of the rebounding, all of these things. So I think it's reasonable to conclude that that's where he'll eventually check in anyway. But he just didn't have the personnel for it at Penn State. So he played another way, and all they did is go to the tournament for the first time in 12 years, win a game, were very competitive, got to the Big Ten tournament final, by the way. Yeah, right. Um, You know, just hats off to him as a coach. I think he was outstanding. And then Penn State loses him. And they didn't lose him to Kansas. They didn't lose him to Duke. They didn't lose him to anybody where Carolina, Michigan State. They didn't lose him to somebody where you look at it and you say, well, all right, there's just not much you could do because that's a place that, you know, is, is going to be able to get most guys to move. They lost him to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's had their own problems in terms of lack of prioritization of basketball, you know, and yet. They were able to get it done. And as you said, you look back at it in retrospect and everything that came out suggests that Penn State lost this before it even started. Um, I read a story where they, Micah Shrewsbury's wife talked about her neighbors hassling their kids for playing basketball in their backyard. <laughs> I guess they had built a court. Telling them that yelling things at them, like you're never going to make the NBA anyway. I mean, it's just, (laughs) can you imagine that being allowed to stand at a place like Michigan state? There's no way they would have, the school would have forced the woman out, you know? Um, but that kind of stuff was going on. And then more to the point, there were, there were a lot of suggestions that Penn state's powers that be were hesitant to pay anything close to what the going rate would be for a guy who had done what Shrewsbury had done um, because they feel they're a football school and they feel like they'd done enough in paying him what they were paying him. And newsflash, they had. <laughs> I did not get the sense that Micah Shrewsbury was looking at this as a stepping stone job, but it became very obvious when it it became apparent that there were other schools that were going to be interested in him, um, that he had to look at it that way because that in fact is what it is. And so that's the, that's the background of how they lost the best coach I've ever seen in that program, you know, and that's not saying a lot necessarily, but it's, it's true. And it's, again, they lost him to Notre Dame. Right. They didn't lose. They didn't lose them to a a school that's serious about the sport. Now, granted, Shrewsbury's an Indiana native. He had done some time in South Bend earlier in his career, so you know there there might have been more appeal for him with that job than there would be to the average coach. But when when this first came out, I thought it was ludicrous. I'm like, they're not going to get Penn State's got Big Ten money. They're not going to lose their basketball coach to Notre freaking Dame. Well, they did. And, <laughs> and it's their own fault. So that all happens. So what does Penn state do? Well, they go out and they hire a guy named Mike Rhodes and Mike Rhodes was in the mix. The last time this job came up, 
he has been the head coach at uh, VCU for the last few years, has had some real success there. Uh, he's a Pennsylvania native. That helps. He'd been to three NCAA tournaments in his six years at the helm at VCU, and he won a lot of games, 68% overall and 69% in the Atlantic 10. So that's that's good stuff. Um, that's In fact, that's a that's a more proven track record as a head coach than anybody they've hired during the years they've been in the big 10. Right. Um, Jerry Dunn had never been at Bruce Parkhill was the head coach when they came here, came into the league. Jerry Dunn was, had not been a head coach. I don't believe prior to his time at Penn state, uh, Ed DeCellis had not, I think had been at Navy prior to that. <laughs> yeah. Pat Chambers had, I think, mostly been an assistant at Villanova. And then, you know, we, we talked about Micah Shrewsbury had not been a, he'd been an assistant. So the fact that Rhodes has, you know, mid-major plus experience and he's won a, a good amount of his games, that's encouraging. Um, frankly, it's better than Penn State probably merits given how they handled the Shrewsbury situation. Um so that suggests that he too will have a chance to build something, but you know, given what's happened, the question is inevitably going to be, all right, let's say he has some success. What happens then? Do they yeah, lose right. him too? Right. And, and this was, I was, when this was all going on on the Spartan mag board, I posted about it a few times and I was serious about this. This whole situation to me struck me as coming perilously close to a scenario where I felt like the big 10 maybe should have taken a page from the sec. So several years ago, word was that there were some conference officials and some, some ADs from some schools that were spending on basketball that went to some of the schools in the league that weren't spending their resources on basketball and said, you got to step up your game. Basically yeah. gave him a come to Jesus talk. And I really do feel like we might be at that point with Penn state where the league needs to step in and say, listen, you are getting paid egregious amounts of money as a result of the football contract. Basketball matters too. And you need to start keeping up. You can't, you can't pretend as if this doesn't, this doesn't mean anything. You got to at least make a pretense of caring. And that's, that's how it struck me. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. First thing is Rhodes has got to have some success and he's, you know, he's looking at very much a complete kind of rebuild Yeah, from last year. They don't have a lot coming back. Yeah. I think, you know, Penn state has had a history of bringing people in off the discount rack, right. As far as coaches and uh, just putting the minimal effort in and, um, and they had, they, they found a diamond. They found a gem with, you know, Micah Shrewsbury. It makes you wonder too, on some level, before you talk about the rest of the team, uh, that, you know, everyone always talks about succession plans for Tom Izzo. And you look at the coaching tree, we've talked about Valentine in the past. And of course there, there are a number of, you know, assistant coaches and, and someone sitting in Notre Dame, that's not a school that's going to be able to hang on to a coach for a large, you know, major program that wants, that wants him. That's not totally unreasonable to think in five years or whenever it is that, that Izzo decides to hang it up, that you could see something like that happen. And I mean, I don't know what the, what the relationship is between those two, but he's someone I think you could be excited about as a Michigan State fan as well. Oh, and, program, and right? look, he's, he's immediately turned Notre Dame recruiting up a level. He just got a commitment from a kid on Saturday night who's a top 75 player. And that, that sounds like a fairly normal thing if you're a Michigan State fan. But I assure you, Notre Dame, even though Mike Bray had some good teams, Notre Dame was not a recruiting powerhouse during his time. Um, so Shrewsbury's now that he's in a place like Notre Dame, he's turning that into a situation where he's actually landing higher level players. So, um, yeah, I mean, you don't rule anything out. I just think we're, we're hopefully too far away from <laughs> me too, <laughs> knowing what the future is. But I, I, I would agree with you that at least on paper, you would look at it and say, well, there's no obvious candidate 
to succeed Tom Bezzo with Michigan State. So might that mean that they open it up? But just because there's not one that looks obvious to fans doesn't mean that there won't be somebody, you know, people yeah, right. wouldn't have, Absolutely. people would have said the same thing about Hubert Davis, uh, John Shire. I mean, we've seen it. And I, I think if you're expecting Michigan state to go out and hire someone who's not from the Izzo tree, uh, you're probably going to be mistaken, but that's a discussion for another day. Absolutely. Yeah, and I I wonder too, you know, the, what the relationship is with Penn State and the rest of the big and the Big Ten. And I think to your your point is a good one that you know they may get that talking to by the Big Ten commissioner once he's well, they settled, should once he's settled in. But or not, it's another issue. They should. But what happens now? Adding UCLA, USC, Washington, Oregon to the Big Ten, uh, it, does that does, is it is it more embarrassing for Penn State to end up seventeenth, eighteenth than to fourteenth? You know, thirteenth. I don't know. know if, yeah, I don't know if they. I don't know if they care. And I, and I, you always wonder too if you have enough success in the football field, it it may not matter, right? Like if you struggle, well, in the I think football that's field, the then everything else matters, right? I mean, I, for the AD, like if the if the football program is going well, I think the AD is pretty much immune outside of you know like the scandal with Sandu, you know Sandusky and stuff. But um, that if that if they have they struggle there on some level, then maybe now you're, you've got some real problem. Now they sort of people notice that, Oh yeah, we stink at basketball too. And I, I don't know. Maybe people at Penn state don't care. Clearly that his neighbors didn't care. Uh, it looks like basketball it. fans. It, it looks <laughs> like they don't. It looks like the, the, they're, uh, I don't know if it's a board of trustees or what they call them, but they're, let's say their administration right. doesn't seem to really care. And it is a place where football is King. I get that, but you know, uh, you can you can say, you know, Ohio State, Michigan are similar in that way, and yet those schools that I bag on Michigan all the time for how little they seem to really provide major, you know, big time program level support for basketball. But I mean, if you stack them up to Penn State, it's a no contest, right? Yeah, oh, they're yeah. way beyond Penn State. Same for Ohio State. So those schools demonstrate, look, you could be a football first place and still at least make a good attempt at putting on a show of appearing to care about basketball. Penn State just has not done that. And, you know, I think what Micah Shrewsbury did, if if nothing else, is he shattered the the idea that, well, Penn State's an impossible place to win. No, if you've got the right guy. He can win there because it's still a Big Ten school. I think the equivalent is very similar to Rutgers, right? You have Steve Peichel comes in. You have sure you have decades of incompetence or you know mediocrity at Rutgers. Bad facilities, impossible to win there. He comes in and he shows that he can. You can win now. You have to patience and you have to pay him. Uh, right. But Shrewsbury certainly had that momentum. It certainly had the looks of a guy who you know kind of cobbled the team together and was successful. Oh, that you had, I, look, you had gold it, there, it, right? And they just decided not to take advantage of that, which is the different, different path than Rutgers. If he had stayed there, I would have been very much of the belief that within the next five years, he would have a team, at least one year, that would be a contender to win a Big Ten championship. Maybe not get it done, but be realistically in the mix. I think he's that good a coach. And to, you let that go, man, yeah. it says it says volumes. Now, again, the fact that they managed to hire Mike Rhodes was impressive and a little surprising to me because Mike Rhodes has done some things. He has a resume. So I, I and I, I got to believe if he wasn't a Pennsylvania native, he doesn't take this job, but um, he did. And we'll see if they're able to sort of repeat, you know, get lightning in a bottle twice in a row. Yeah. I, I watch these, these teams that do these things, these schools like Penn state. And you, I mean, it's not like they're poor. <laughs> Penn State's a gigantic university it has really no, I mean, there aren't any other, I guess Pittsburgh is kind of a, a big division one uh, athletic program within the state, but uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of competition, there's there's no reason to have to struggle and to not do well and so i you know i just well here's the thing there's there's no reason to struggle 
you have the resources that every single Big Ten program has. You know, it it looks to me like Penn State as an institution just decided, well, we built the Bryce Jordan Center, whatever it was, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, that's enough for the next, you know, two generations. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like that was it. Yeah. To me, it's untenable. If you are the Big Ten, you should be looking at that and say, we are embarrassed by this. You need to get serious about your basketball program because it is the other sport besides football that is profitable, that is outward facing, and that people care about. Right. And, you know, you look at it in contrast to a place like Nebraska, another place where they, they've never won and where football is king. But look at what Nebraska has done to support their basketball program with with less reason for encouragement, frankly, than Penn State has given. Yeah. And right. and yet they're trying. I don't have any doubts about that. So, yeah, at some point, I think the league just has to decide to apply some pressure. You know, if God knows if the SEC can do it where they really don't care about basketball outside of lexington and maybe fayetteville arkansas um then the big 10 well should right yeah and i and i don't know what shrewsbury's contract was the end of last year and what Rhodes's contract but i in some ways you know like you know what what are you talking about massive difference in money probably not i mean you could have had give him a raise i suppose shrewsbury to keep him around but well that was the thing that was the thing it was that there it was obvious that his deal should be renegotiated but but as I understand it, it, what was more important is that Shrewsbury wanted um, more resources for staffing his assistant coaches, right. yeah, yeah. support things. It wasn't it wasn't a hey double my salary kind of stick them up routine. It was more <laughs> about demonstrate further commitment to the the core of the program, to the things that enable you to be successful, right? If you're, if your assistant coaching compensation pool goes up, well, you should be able to attract better assistant coaches, um, over time, you know, and that's the kind of thing he was asking for. And that's what was not there. And they were also just, again, my understanding is they were just really, really slow in, in dealing with him when it was obvious to anyone paying attention by, by January, this guy's having a good year. Yeah. I think that's the point though, right? No one's paying attention. And that was, yeah. that's probably fundamentally, that's always been the problem there. Yeah. I think they just deluded themselves into believing that either that there wasn't a threat for him to leave or that, um, if he did leave, it doesn't matter because we're Penn State and football's kegged and so what. And it's just, yeah, it's very, it's disheartening as a as a basketball fan of the league where you want programs to be good. You want the Big Ten to be competitive um, to see this. Uh, for a guy, it happened to a guy who, you know, and I understand, again, I understand he's an Indiana native, so Notre Dame made some sense, blah, blah, blah. Micah Shrewsbury is a guy from Big Ten country. You shouldn't lose those guys who have had success. It should not happen. The, yeah, I've, I've long been of the opinion that the big t- in the Big Ten, you should never lose a coach to a to another high major program again, outside of perhaps you know if if Duke had come calling right. for Chris Collins. Okay, right, that's different. But outside of that, you know, Alabama should not be able to come into the Big Ten and get a Big Ten coach. They shouldn't. It just shouldn't happen. But that changes if the administrations don't treat their resource pool the way they ought to. The resources are there to make sure that that never happens. But is the willingness? I think that's the question mark at a couple of these places. And Penn State flunked the test. Without a doubt. Well, let's move on. And, you know, this is a team that was, boy, I mean, we look at the, we'll go through the players departing. This entire team pretty much got washed away. And when you have problems with things washing away off your roof rod, <laughs> make sure you have <laughs> great gutters. 
It's a good segue. Uh, the, the, bro- the brothers are just two gutters. Uh, do fantastic work. I'm sitting out here. We're recording this right now, and it's raining outside, and and I am not the least bit concerned about all the problems I had in my my gutter and my water pro- my water issues beforehand. I don't have trees growing in my gutter anymore. Uh, I don't have leaves collecting my gutter. It's great, and I also don't have the big pooling problem that I had in the past. So uh, they will come in. They can either repair things that are messed up. They can fix the leaf problem by putting a bunch of uh, leaf guards. They can just clean them out for you, or they can totally replace your gutters as I had to have and had six inch gutters put in instead of four inches. But anyway, they will do all that stuff. They work very efficiently. They're fully insured, very friendly, great price. Uh, for listeners of the show, you get 10% off. All you have to do is contact uh, Brothers Gutters uh, at dot com. Kurt and his team on the west side of the state, the Grand Rapids area, out to Sagatuck, down to um, in Rockford. Or you can contact Greg and his team out of the Metro Detroit area. Uh, they will take care of you and take care of all those things, whether you're a business or residential. They do both. And so you want to get a hold of them. They will do fantastic work. And we've had other listeners of the show who support our show by supporting our sponsors. And uh, they've also been very pleased with their work. So check out the Brothers Just You Gutters. You won't regret it. All right. So we talked to you about their entire team pretty much departing, not entirely, but pretty close. So we'll start with Jalen Pickett. Drafted into the NBA, uh, 6'4 senior, was the, the leader of the team. He was a, a strange player in, in the league in the sense that he played inside, even though he was a, a 6'4 guard. He led the team in points with 17.7 a game, also in rebounds at 7.4 a game, and assists with 6.6 a game, shooting 51, 38, 76, although his 38%, fairly low volume considering uh, uh, how good he was shooting threes. He scored most of his points in the paint. Uh, but he leaves obviously for the NBA and for better, uh, better pastures. Yeah, just a great year, and and he was the guy, as much as anyone, that made Penn State fun to watch and very difficult to play against, because you're just teams are just not used to dealing with a point guard operating out of the post the way he did. Uh, who was it? Uh, Illinois. Uh, Brad Underwood complained about bully ball. When uh, that picket was just, you know, pounding away and pounding away and post. And I, I gather he thought he was committing offensive fouls or something, but um, he was great. And, you know, if Penn State had been just a little bit better as a team, I think he was someone that he wouldn't have won it because Zach Eady had just a phenomenal year from a statistical point of view. But let's put it this way most years, Jaden Pickett's performance would have been player of the year worthy just because of the totality of ways he impacted the team. Let him in the three major categories was the top assist guy in the entire conference um, and did it unconventionally. It was, yeah, it was a great season. I, I would say, I mean, Penn state's had a handful of guys uh, over my time watching Um you know, Taylor Battle, uh, Joe Crispin, yep. um, Lamar Stevens, Tony Carr. They've had a handful of guys, Calvin Booth going way back, um, who have had great years individually. But I would I would submit, I don't think I've ever seen a Penn State player have a better year than Pickett had. Yeah, he was great. He was a matchup problem for sure. And at 38% three-point shooting on this team, you'll note as you go through the rest of the stats, it's actually one of the worst <laughs> for right. the players. And that's really good, right? So that just gives you an idea of sort of the season they had. Yep. So next would be Seth, Seth Lundy. He averaged 14.2 points a game at 45-40 and 81 shooting. Uh, could defend wings and power forwards, and he ended up getting drafted as well. So, I mean, I don't – he grabbed six, a little over six rebounds a game too. I, I don't know. When's the last time they had two people drafted in the NBA I, in the same yeah, year? Yeah, never, never. <laughs> um yeah, he was real, you know, quietly a really good player. Pickett ended up getting a fair amount of attention over time, but I feel like Seth Lundy never quite got his due because he was such a good shooter a- out of necessity for a team that just didn't have much size, was a, a competent rebounder. But then on top of that, a really, really good individual defender and a guy who could defend a lot of different kinds of players. So, yeah, he was, he just got better every year he was there. So next, uh, really fun player to watch, uh, Andrew Funk, 6'4 wing, transferred from Bucknell. 
and he was the un- the uh, guy with no conscience out there shooting. He averaged 12.5 points a game at 44, 41, 87 shooting, and that 41% is impressive considering just the distance he's shooting, uh, how he this quick release, falling sideways. He kind of shot all this. And when he would get hot, man, I tell you what, he was impossible to guard. He, he remind me, I mean, very similar to Tomonaga out of Nebraska. Absolutely. Guy, right. Has unlimited range and could just kill you when you're, <laughs> I don't know that another league had two guys with quicker releases and weirder shot selection than the big 10 had with Tomonaga and funk uh, funk just, I mean, he was a guy, what made him so hard to cover. It's the combination of the two things. It said he's got an incredibly quick release, but then on top of that, he was going to take shots in terms of timing, location on the floor, and rhythm that made no sense. (laughs) You know, most of the time, and I would think at least some of our listeners are going to know what I'm talking about. When you're watching a basketball game, the way I would describe it is you can almost feel physically when a shot is going to be launched because it's coming in a rhythm and with a certain amount of space and, and the right player, all those things combine to establish a sense for the viewer of when a shot is going to happen. And for most players, that's a predictable thing. Funk, it wasn't. It wasn't ever predictable. And that's and when you're guarding a guy like that, what I'm talking about isn't just about viewers. It's also when you're playing in a game, you have a sense of, okay, that's a good shot. This is not a good shot. Those, those demarcations didn't exist for <laughs> yeah. Funk. And as you say, the fact that he shot the percentage that he did considering that's his shot selection is wild. I mean, he was a big addition. You know, we we've, I used to talk a few years ago about um, how the transfer up scenario where you would have, when this is when we were in the era of grad transfers where guys who were coming from mid majors and transferring up to a high major, there wasn't a great track record of success, but that's largely been blown out of the water now. And Funk is an example of that, where he came over as a grad transfer from Bucknell and just was tremendous, uh, just a huge addition for Penn State in a, in a role that they desperately needed. Because again, due to the lack of size, Penn State had no choice but to be a three-point dominant team offensively. And so if that's how you're going to play, well, having a guy like funk is hugely important. And he was. Yeah. Cause it just the ways he could obviously stretch the defense, pull defenders off of double teaming other players. And so allowed opportunities for everyone else. Yep. And then we have a point guard who's playing inside the paint. It just makes it even, you know, it was an unconventional team and that was, and that's part of the pieces they had. And that's the reason why Uh, next week, Cameron winter, he was also a grad transfer from Drexel. Uh, he was uh, would do, play points sometimes, but he, yep. great offensive player, almost scored nine points a game at 48, 40, and 73 shooting, and just added extra depth and production on the offense end, again, behind the line. Yeah, and, and again, it's just another, another piece to the puzzle that they needed is one more perimeter guy who's capable of stretching defenses, could get to the basket on occasion as well, gave them some quickness, and also provided them with another distributor, another playmaking option, you know? Yep. And then next would be Miles Dredd, 6'5 wing, uh, was moved to a reserve role, but he would very frequently be playing the post defensively. He'd be playing the five. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he only averaged uh, five and a half points a game, but shot well, 40, 38, and 67. He only uh, was 172 shot attempts over the season. Only 13 were not three-pointers. So he was on the offensive end. He was inside, but very frequently you find him at least at worst playing, the, guarding the four. But he would guard the five very frequently just because size was just not a thing that Penn State was going to worry about. So he was... Uh, he, he really uh, was able to adapt to this team and find a role for himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, never, never really progressed. I think the way they thought he might when, 
when Pat right. Chambers signed him because he really did end up as very much a one-dimensional player offensively. I mean, we said it, you know, all but 13 shots came from three. But still, on a team that didn't have a ton of depth, he was important because he was a playable, experienced option. Next would be Michael Henn, 6'8", 230-pound center, grad transfer from Denver. He played 29 games, uh, only averaged nine minutes a game, and two and a half points and one a little over a rebound a game, shooting 49, 42, and 50. So he would occasionally play, but again, he didn't. He didn't really offer that much as far as um, production or minutes on the on the floor. No, they just you know they needed a couple of bodies with actual size, and he was one of them. But uh, you know the the deep shooting was interesting. Um, he was a guy, I believe, Penn State was his fifth school in five years. <laughs> yeah, so right. he'd been well traveled, but um, you know a decent depth option. Not a not a guy who's gonna. Take his cadence. Yeah. Um, so next is Kevin Injai. Uh, he's six nine freshman. He was a good recruit for Penn State. He started twenty six games, and he was pretty good at the five. He played. He yeah. averaged a little over th- uh, three point four points a game and three and a half rebounds a game, and started looking like he was going to shaping into something. Especially by the end of the season, he ended up following Shrewsbury, and he's now at Notre Dame. Yeah, that's a big loss. I mean, predictable, but um, yeah. you're right. He was a he was a major recruit for them, and he certainly showed the potential to develop into a guy who as an upperclassman as a junior or a senior, I think he would have been a very, very good player. Um, you know, as a freshman, he would get opportunities because he was a, a center and he, he would start a lot of games. He didn't necessarily finish them. Yeah. Um, but he, but he definitely showed potential and I would expect that he'll probably evolve into a, at the least a very solid player at, at Notre Dame. Yeah. He was very much out of sorts during most games when I watched, just because I think just the way the style that they played, they had to sort of change when he's there, but they didn't really right. change the way they played. And so he just kind of fish out of water. That's a playing, good, you know, it's a good post. point. It's a good point. It, the way they had to play meant that when he was in the game, they weren't playing that way or they were trying to continue to play that way. And he didn't really fit it. And so that was difficult, but I think over time they would have built more conventionally. Yes. Right. Exactly. And it yeah, would have a different gotten team. better for him. He, yeah. Right. Uh, so next departure is Evan Mahaffey. He's a six, six freshman from Cincinnati. He made it into the rotation. He averaged a little under three points a game and on a, and one point seven rebounds a game. Uh, he definitely brought a lot of energy, but he left and he's now at Ohio state. Yeah, it's another loss because Mahaffey really, I thought, especially as Big Ten play wore on, his role got bigger and bigger. And he was a guy who was actually playing a lot of small ball five um, toward the end of the season. He just, he's not, you know, was not a tremendously skilled player. He didn't wow you with anything he did in terms of offensive skills, but just kind of an infectious energy played very, very hard and got, got some things done by virtue of that motor, that work ethic. And he's from Cincinnati. So he elected to go back to his home state and, and transfer to OSU. But he's a loss because I, I think if, you know, if Shrewsbury had come back, Mahaffey probably would have been your starting four man. And it would have been interesting to see if, you know, sometimes these kinds of guys, really become much, much more than you ever anticipate they'll be. I, I look at a guy like, um, oh, in the current Big Ten, a guy like Tyler Wall at at, at uh, right. Wisconsin. Where he comes in and early in his career, he's he's an energy guy, and that's really all he is. But over time, you know, he develops into a very, very capable all-around player. And I don't know that the same will happen for Mahaffey, but I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, well, and certainly for Penn State, the, the situation they're in, anybody who departs is a big loss for that. Right. <laughs> who could stay? Uh, speaking of which, they would go to Dalian Johnson, 6'3", junior guard, played 23 games, didn't do a whole lot, uh, ended up electing to transfer to Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, you know, he he got an opportunity um, early in his career but uh, to play a bigger role, but never really seized it. And so the move down is probably the right one. And then finally, the last departure, Caleb Dorsey, 6'7", junior. He played, uh, started nine games, but ended up getting replaced by Mahaffey. And as the year went on, he ended up going to William and Mary. Yeah, and again, it's a similar thing is is made apparent by that decision. 
when you're transferring to William and Mary. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that sort of says it, right. Especially a team uh, that's with nobody on it. Yeah. That, <laughs> right. I need to know. Uh, so we'll go to the returning players, which is of course for Penn state, a very short list. Kanye Clary, 5'11 sophomore guard, averaged 3.7 points a game on 43, 29, and 70 shooting. Uh, and the thing that sticks out with him is that he was not a good three-point shooting on a team that was just littered with them. Yeah, I, he seems to be the early favorite to emerge as their starting point guard. I don't think I don't think he'll be the only guy to play in that role, but um, I think Cleary is, is going to see his minutes uh, – climb considerably as a sophomore they liked him as a recruit you know he was a guy that shrewsbury was very excited by so i guess you count that as a win for mike rhodes that he was able to retain him and now he looks set to see a a real a really significant uptick in his role but um as you say the thing the first thing that's obvious there is his his deep shooting has got to get a little better well next uh, returning player would be demetrius lily a 610 260 pounds pound sophomore only played a few games last season uh, he's obviously got size but you know we'll have to see what else how we can develop over the next couple of years yeah and you know again if 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 you had that kind of size and you couldn't play last year for penn state what it says is that you really weren't ready but on <laughs> yeah. the other hand it's nice to at least have guys who physically look the part so we'll see if he can develop at all and and find his way into a rotation role Final returning player, Jameel Brown, 6'4", sophomore wing. Uh, he was uh, he only played 14 games. And so, I, you know, I guess the fact that Rose was able to hang on to him and not have him depart as well is probably a good a good yep. sign as well. Yeah, he's going to get a chance. You know, that's the thing. He and Clary both are going to get opportunities uh, to prove that they belong in the long-term um, picture for Penn State on the perimeter. Well, another thing that should be in your long term is making sure you wear some good gear and that's you can get at nudge printing nudge is a fantastic spartan gear uh provider based here in michigan portland michigan gabe and Brittany are fantastic spartan alums who want to keep the keep the spartan community alive and doing well and that's why they helped the spartan strong campaign and they have all the vintage spartan stuff so if you're you're uh got some gray hairs and you've got you want some old images from either basketball or football likely they have them in their selection so you should check out nudgeprinting.com you can get those cool shirts so you can be the one person who doesn't have the same shirt everyone else does at the tailgate this fall or back in breslin center in the winter uh you can check out nudge printing for decals cornhole things wall 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 i guess decals too i guess there are stickers Uh, also they have other schools in the state of michigan you can get they have not every state, every school, but almost every school. And if you want to get some of those and some other national ones as well. So you can check out them at nudgeprinting.com. Listeners to the show get 20% off by typing Final Four into the coupon code. And you'll help support Gabe and Brittany, who support our show. And they also make our gear, like I said before, being the show. Our giveaways that we have are also through Nudge Printing. So uh, thanks to them. And you will not regret anything you get from them because it's super high quality stuff. Very comfortable and wearable. And... It can, I can tell you firsthand experience, it can sustain lots of washings and looks just as good as it did the day we opened the package. All right, so let's talk about all the newcomers, which of course are a lot of them. First is Ace Baldwin. Uh, so he's a guy came in from the portal. Uh, and so he's came from VCU, which is where Rhodes came. So he brought some players in, just like Shrewsbury took a guy with him. Uh, Rhodes brings a guy in with him, Ace Baldwin. Uh, so coming from VCU, he averaged 12.7 points a game on 42, 34, and 80 shooting. And five and a half or five point eight assists per game, while posting a little over two point one two to one assist to turnover ratio and two point two steals a game. Uh, I guess you know that will be another question we'll talk we'll talk about later about sort of you know what sort of team and what sort of way that they'll play. But uh, a good addition for Rhodes to start with along with the three that he managed to keep on at Penn State. He was a big big get for them because obviously with the only three guys they had coming back all being very limited in yeah. terms of their ability to contribute um, to bring in someone who actually has the potential to be a major contributor to a big 10 team, which, 
you know, if you're a 10 player of the year, I would say that's a fair starting point to assume, <laughs> Hey, this guy can be, you know, he might not be, you wouldn't expect him to be big 10 player of the year, but you could say, well, I expect this guy to be able to contribute, to be able to be productive at the big 10 level. That's a huge deal. And the fact that he's a guard, um, again, on a team that doesn't have much in the way of proven guard talent is another major positive. So it remains to be seen, but I I'm pretty bullish on him. I think he's going to be a very good player. You know, they play, uh, we'll get into it a little bit more with what Rhodes does. Um, but he's talking a very good game about continuing to want to play an aggressive up-tempo style at both ends. And I, you know, if you're going to do that, a guy like Baldwin is very, very important because he's already proven to be a capable disruptor, um, for, uh, at, uh, for at least at the A-10 level defensively. So very important guy. I think he'll spend time on and off the ball on offense, but if you're looking for someone to place a bet on to be uh, your leading scorer, he's a pretty good place to start. Uh, so the next VCU player who came over with Rose is, what, is 6'5", junior Nick Kern. He averaged 5.3 points a game on 62, 25, and 61 shooting. So he's kind of guy who plays inside at the rim. Uh, he started 17 games as a sophomore. So uh, they again, it's a, a foundation that Rhodes has built, and along with his a bunch of other transfers. And I think again, you like you like the length on the wing for a team that's going to try to play pressure defense. He was a good, solid at the rim scorer. Um, not much of a jump shooter at this stage, but. Uh, I would say the fact that his role increased over time last season is indicative of uh, the fact that Rhodes has a, an increasing level of trust in him. So I would expect Kern to be somewhere in the rotation for, for Penn State. Next newcomer would be Zach Hicks, 6'7", 195-pound junior transfer from Temple. He averaged a little under, little under 10 points a game and five rebounds a game as a full-time starter for the Owls, shooting 35, 36, and 69 with most of his uh, uh, attempts and from field goal attempts being from three point range. Yeah. So you're, you're looking at Hicks as a guy that is uh, not that I expect Penn state to play the same way they did last year, but um, you know, again, a team that's going to have to find some scoring, a lot of scoring from the perimeter, a guy like Hicks is a potentially important addition because uh you know, he's shown decent efficiency and and a willingness and ability to take those shots. So, again, another guy I would expect to be somewhere in the rotation. Next would be Puff Johnson, 6'8", tr transfer from North Carolina. He averaged 4.1 points a game on 39, 28, and 66 shooting. He's a top 100 recruit out of Carolina. Uh, so, I guess, uh, you know, and I guess the question with Puff is he, I not have seen the guy, is he, does he match his name? Is he kind of a little bit pudgy or is he actually a pretty lean guy? No, it's, it's not, it's, it's got nothing to do with his size. Um, <laughs> he's just been a little bit of a disappointment at UNC because he was a top 100 recruit. I think was a guy that um, they thought would be a little more consistent as a perimeter guy than he, than he ended up being, uh, but certainly a, the kind of player that was worth this PSU program taking a flyer on you know sure um so again they've got to hope that the consistency and the production improves um with a change of scenery and perhaps a bigger role uh we'll see if that happens so the next player newcomer is kudus wahab of 611 240 pound grad transfer uh he uh make comes back to the M big 10 after he was played a couple years at maryland um he was at Georgetown, where he averaged 9.6 points a game, 7.1 rebounds a game, and average and shot 51% from the floor and 71% from the line. Uh, so he's, you know, 6'11". You can't coach size, right? Uh, so <laughs> he definitely would he definitely look a little – it'll definitely make give the Penn State team a different look than they had last year. Yeah, that, that alone, Wahab, 
gives them a physical presence in the paint that last year's Penn State team did not have. Um, you know, he's he's had an interesting career because he was really good as a sophomore at Georgetown. And then he transferred to Maryland and was okay, but kind of disappointing. Went back to Georgetown last year and, again, was okay, but maybe a little disappointing. So you don't know. Can he find his way back to that sophomore year productivity? That remains to be seen. I, I would say that uh, even if he just plays to the level he's been at the last couple of years, that's important for Penn State to have a guy like that because, as we know, in the Big Ten, um, even though I think the the big man dominance is going to be a little less pronounced this year than we've seen in recent seasons, it's still a league where compared to most post play matters. So just having a guy physically that can occupy space on defense, that alone is important. And Wahab can do more than that. Yeah. They definitely look like a more traditional big 10 team and yeah. ten than they did last season, uh, which brings us to Leo Boyle. 6'7", 220-pound grad transfer from Lafayette. He averaged 11.6 points a game and 3.6 rebounds a game last season and shot 42, 41, and 86. And he also has a lot of attempts coming from deep, about two-thirds of his uh, field goal attempts from the three-point line. Yeah, it's just with with so many guys coming in. I mean, these are 10 portal guys that they've added. They're not all going to play. But you you just you don't know yet with some of these guys like some of them like Wahab, um, uh, Baldwin yeah those are automatics. A guy like O'Boyle I I just don't know. I could see a scenario where okay if this guy can hit shots anywhere close to where, the way he did at Lafayette, then yeah there's probably a role. But will he do that? And how is he as a total player relative to some of the other guys on the roster? That's the bit you just don't know. Yeah. Well, it's just like our next player is Raquandis Mitchell, 6'5", 200-pound transfer yep. from Missouri, Kansas City. Uh, he averaged 17.3 points a game on 35-31-84 shooting, uh, pulling down a little under four rebounds a game. Athletic, but, uh, you know, to your point, I mean, you're almost throwing a, you're kind of throwing a bit wide net, pulling yep. it, maximize your roster because you're thinking, well, I'm going to miss on some of these guys, but I might find one or two who are really good, right? And so then I'm going to have a good five or six-man rotation that I can be successful with. That's it, you know, and, and with this kid, it's more about his, his physical elements. I mean, he was obviously very productive as a scorer at Missouri, Kansas city last year, but it's at the Penn state level. I think it's more about, all right, he's six, five, he's a good athlete. So he should be able to fit this system. Rhodes wants to run defensively. And then you're hoping that he can just shoot well enough to let those other attributes impact things. Uh, so the next one, another big guy, seven footer, favor air, sophomore transfer from University of Miami. Didn't play much at all on that team last year. He only averaged three minutes a game in 14 games, um, except he'll obviously be someone who can come in from behind. And he spells favor with a U, so he's obviously from somewhere else in the um, the English world, speaking world, so he's from Nigeria. Doesn't spell the American spelling a favor. Yeah, uh, you know, you can't teach size. And, um, <laughs> that's, that's really, it's that simple, you know, they'll have somebody who's got, you know, he'll compete. I would think he will primarily be competing with Lily for the backup five role. One of those two guys probably, you know, is, is able to play 10, 12 minutes, something like that. Maybe a little less if they go smaller, but at least it gives him, it gives Rhodes options physically in the post. Uh, next would be DeMarco Dunn, 6'4", junior transfer from North Carolina. So he's the second uh, transfer from the from the uh, Tar Heels. He averaged 2.7 points a game in 23 games played, shot 42, 32, and 60. Uh, so, again, a top 100 recruit who did not sort of pan out immediately as North Carolina had hoped. And so I guess, you know, will the new environment also help him? That, that's it exactly. I mean, they're, they're, Penn State is rolling the dice on – a change of scenery and maybe a clear path to a major role being enough to make the difference. Certainly a guy who had potential as a recruit coming out of high school, um, hasn't quite made good on it just yet, but we'll see if that changes. 
And then last year, we didn't have an Icelander in the Big Ten, but now we do again. So 6'5", freshman from Iceland, Braji Gumundinson. Gumundinson. I'll have to work. Gumundinson. Gumundinson? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so he's the only freshman signed by Rhodes. Uh, he had to go all the way halfway across the Atlantic to find him. Uh, well, in, so in April, it's tough. <laughs> Especially trying to go to you know about Iceland in April. Holy cow, that'd be cold. Well, I was uh, saying to get a freshman, but right. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I. Where do these guys play usually? I mean, I'm curious. Do they are they, are they like European AU? Or are they playing just in Iceland, or do they are they playing in the um, states? I'm not sure on in on his front. He may well. Oftentimes, what happens is uh, no, there's no AAU, but these guys will will be playing for a lower level team affiliated with a professional club. Okay. And, and so, but they're, but they're not professionals, so it doesn't affect their eligibility to play NCAA basketball, but that would be my assumption. Yeah. So he's playing like for the Rickovic all-stars or something like that, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, okay. We've talked about, obviously the, the big, huge picture here is you've got departing Shrewsbury left late left i mean everybody left was there are a lot who are graduating anyway and then the few promising prospects they had pretty much departed there's almost no one left Rhodes comes in from vcu brings two of his best players with him and then just cobbles together a bunch of transfers we've seen this story before in the big 10 <laughs> so uh and so it's gonna be hard to know exactly what they're gonna be but we have some idea of what they were at vcu or at least the style of coaching and so why don't you just give us an idea what what you expect to this team to be and you know you're obviously picking 13, so you're not expecting to be super successful the first year. But what do you expect us to see when we watch Penn State? I, I expect Mike Rhodes is going to make the same mistake that I've seen many coaches over the last 25 years make in this conference. Wait, is he going to be pressuring the ball and, and trying to? That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And he is a proponent of full court pressure defense. So he has played a little unusual style. It's a one-two-one-one press, and he's had a lot of success with it in the A-10. You know, VCU was the number fifteen team in defensive efficiency last season. They were number seven in turnover percentage. So that's simply put, the percentage of opposing possessions that ended in a turnover. That's a that's a very good number. And on top of that, he did a good job in limiting their opponent's shooting success once they broke pressure. That's often not an easy thing to do. If you go back to Brad Underwood's first couple of years at Illinois, and you remember the ridiculous pressure he played, <laughs> which essentially ensured every possession either ended in a turnover or a dunk by the opponent. Um, it was one or the other. Uh, that was not VCU. They did a pretty good job, even once you broke pressure, of limiting your shooting success. So that all sounds great, right? So, hey, they, they create turnovers, but they're obviously not giving up a ton of easy baskets the other the other way. Um, it's the perfect defense. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the A-10. Yeah. In the Big Ten, I submit it doesn't work, and we've seen this play out historically. Lots of different coaches, lots of different styles and attempts at doing that, of playing a pressure game. And it doesn't work, and that's for a variety of reasons. I think that, generally speaking, you've got better guard play in the Big Ten. You've also got better coaching and preparation. You've got better scouting. And I think those are the reasons, among others, why it doesn't work. So in recent years, I can cite guys like Brad Underwood, Richard Pitino, and Fran McCaffrey all talked a good game when they first came in the league and about doing this. And they had to back off. They discovered for themselves, oops, can't do this in the Big Ten. Doesn't work. I don't think it'll be any different with Mike Rhodes. I mean, if you imagine Penn State trying to pressure, let's say, this Michigan State team. Oh, but please. With all of its guards. <laughs> right. It'll be a layup line. <laughs> At the other end, interestingly, he doesn't look to go up tempo. He plays a fairly deliberate style. They're very heavy on pick and roll. So that part fits in generally with the way the game is played in this league, where you play somewhat deliberately. Um, you're trying to emphasize valuing the ball 
and um, you're not looking to play strictly a 94 foot game. You know, a lot of teams in the Big Ten play that way, and so he'll fit that in. Defensively, I just think it's going to have to be an adjustment. Yeah. So when you get beyond all that, and then you you factor in that you've got ten entirely new players, and the three guys who aren't new barely played, you're talking about a completely new team. And and honestly, if somebody wanted to make the case that maybe Minnesota should have been a spot higher. I wouldn't necessarily argue with that, but I gave Penn state the edge because I do think with guys like Baldwin and Wahab, they do have a couple of players who I think will stack up as being very good big 10 level guys. Well, in Baldwin's case, at least and Wahab is at least a solid big 10 player at an important position. Right. Um, I think how it comes together, what this rotation looks like, who's in the starting lineup, all of that very much unclear at this point. And how could it be otherwise? Because they've just, they've completely remade a a program, you know? So I, I would say this, I give Rhodes credit for one thing right out of the chute. I think given the situation he did a pretty good job at pulling together a representative roster, you know, mm-hmm. getting a couple guys from Carolina, even if they were guys who didn't quite meet potential or expectations at Carolina, those are still guys that you'd have to say, have some potential, you know, getting the a 10 player of the year. That's a, that's a big get, you know, that matters. Sure. Getting a guy like Wahab who's played it successfully at the big 10 and big East level before for several years. Okay. That's he's, I think the team that takes the floor, particularly once we get into January and they've got a few weeks under their belt and have sorted some things out. I think the team they're going to have by the time we hit January will look like a pretty representative big 10 team. You know, that's my guess. I think he's got enough horsepower um, to do that. But, but I also think if he's, if he's serious about that defensive approach, man, that's, that's going to cut the other direction because you're just, you're going to have a lot of days where you just get shredded trying to play that way in this league. And, and you're going to make things easier on your opponent and harder on yourself by virtue of doing so. So that's my hesitation there. I really hope they do do it. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, you know, I I think in terms of roster composition, he's done a credible job and he certainly proved enough at VCU that you can say, all right, this is a guy who's, who's maybe got a shot at figuring it out at Penn state, you know? Um, But again, then the fundamental question is going to come back to, Okay, but if he does figure it out, do they keep him? Right. <laughs> or will they and give I, him further support with other facilities and, you know, well, that, but that's needs, what it's right? going to take to keep Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you're going to have to do those things. And that's going to be, you know, but that's a discussion for another day. He's got to get to that point first. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine this this defense, you know, if you're actually pressing Michigan State, I'm trying, you know, unless there are very few lineup combination you can imagine Michigan State where you don't have four ball handlers on the <laughs> pretty good ball yeah. handlers on the court at and, any one time. It's not just, It'd be a disaster. And it's not just Michigan State. I mean, even teams that that don't you know, look at a team like Northwestern. Northwestern's got a bunch of veteran perimeter players. They're not going to get rattled. Yeah. Right. By this, you know, Wisconsin, they got a ton of guys who have played a lot of basketball. They're not going to be, you know, on and on and on. Um, Ohio State. I mean, I just I just don't think it works, you know, and I've just, I've seen too many coaches come into this league having played that way at lower echelon stops and talk, a, talk a really good game about, well, we're going to be who we are. We're going to press, we're going to take it to people. And they end up a year in two years in whatever backing off. Cause they have to, they have to face reality. I just don't think, I don't think that style 
works very well in the modern game. It's been a long, long time, a long time since we've seen a team that was built around defensive pressure win at the highest levels of the game. It just doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I mean, when is we? I think we talked about it before. Are we talking about like Arkansas? I'm trying to remember that with Richardson. Yeah, I, I really think. I mean, I, I may be missing somebody, but I mean, Iowa did it, but they weren't. I guess you wouldn't say a success on the highest levels, even. No, doing it I, and, I uh, think that I think that you are going back. You're going back to you know the Arkansas Nolan Richardson teams. You know, before that, you can find teams in the '70s and the '80s that did it, but. At a certain point, I think just guard play and scouting just got to be too good. Yeah. And and it, it's made it very, very difficult to win consistently that way. You know, put another way, how often do you see anybody press in the NBA? Oh, I was going to say, only like end of the game situation, certain situations, but you never do it in any, any sort of consistency. For 48 minutes. No, yeah. For probably five. <laughs> and, and there's a reason for that, you know, and I think it's that as the talent level and the coaching gets better, it is harder to win by playing that way. Yeah. I don't think it's an accident. So I expect Penn state's going to have some difficulty if Rhodes is serious about that. And I think he is serious about it for now. Well, and at this point it probably doesn't matter what he does and you're going to probably have, you're going to struggle. But you might, you know, it could be the, it could be the difference between winning five games in the league and winning three. Sure. Which you might say doesn't mean that much, but you know, and it also, it also, the, the longer that you are living in delusion, <laughs> the longer it's going to be to get to the point that you could start really building your thing. That's going to work. Right. You know, Steve Peichel knew how he wanted to play and knew who he was right away. Yeah. If he had screwed around for a year, trying things that had no chance of working at the big 10 level. Well, he would have just been a year further behind. Well, and, and then again, you know, maybe then you lose that player, the recruiting and they see that, Oh, this is kind of not a serious team. And you've, you may get that reputation then never yeah. recover. Like Petuno never recovered in some respects at Minnesota. He was never yeah. able to land any of the big, big uh, prospects out of Minneapolis. You know, I, I do think that you look at guys like Underwood and McCaffrey and say, okay, well they figured it out. They were able to to figure out that this wasn't going to be successful long term in the Big Ten, and they backed off it and found another way to play. So in those cases, it worked. But yeah, you don't always have the luxury. You don't know how much time you've got when you start. So to me, it's like, well, figure that out at the outset and yeah. save yourself the time involved in trying to change course midstream. But you know, that's easier said than done, I suppose. And Mike Rhodes has won a lot of games the last six years playing this way. And I understand why he probably feels good about that. But um, I just think he's going to find it a hard road to hoe. Well, the, at the way history works, I feel like it's a very high chance that we're going to be seeing Penn State sometime in December. <laughs> that seems to be what we tend to do. So yeah. we'll, see, we'll see that at that point, that probably will still be their system until maybe reality hits them in the face a couple times. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. We'll be back next time with the number 12, Nebraska. So until then, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Go green.